Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. One of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. There was some fireworks on the Capitol today, boy. No, I... No, I'm not... No, there wasn't another insurrection. I'm not... No, Ray Epps can't be found, remember? They don't know where Ray Epps is. You, you can't have an insurrection with, without Ray Epps, right? But no, I'm serious. There were fireworks on the Capitol today. I mean, there were a couple different things that went on, obviously. You know, you had the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing, and that was related to the FBI. FBI. And, uh, and I wouldn't say fireworks went off on that one. The, the, the more firework-oriented hearing uh, uh, took place between Tiny Tony Fauci and Rand Paul, and I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, there is, I like watching, I really, I mean this, I think I enjoy watching Tiny Tony Fauci get beat up by Rand Paul more than I like uh, boxing, more than I like mixed martial arts, more than I like watching sports events these days, I'm serious, I I, I genuinely, I think that I could sit there, and, and they could just have a, a series that is endless, it goes on for seasons and seasons, and if every episode was just, it was just uh, Rand Paul just taking it to to Tiny Tony Fauci and watching Tiny Tony Fauci shake, shaking his boots, quiver and quake, and just, I mean, he's such a small man, such a small man, and and he's so insecure, and he's Mister Science, and he's just, he's so reflective, of course, of who the Democrats are, and that's, I think it's, I think it's an actually a really great lesson for Americans. Every time this happens, because Tony Fauci is the embodiment of everything that is wrong with American politics. This holier than thou, this, you know, it's like the too big to fail mentality for certain businesses. Well, you kind of apply that to these guys. I mean, they, they think that that they're too important, too important to go to jail. And that's, I mean, obviously we're Fauci belongs. It's evident. I mean, yeah, just yesterday. I, I mean, it's amazing to me how fast this information's coming out. I, I, this has got to be one of the most exciting times in modern American history since the advent, the the invention of the microphone to be a radio host or podcaster at this point. It's just, it's incredible. There is there is an endless litany of things to report about every day, every day, and 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 I do have fun doing it. We have to have some fun. But, but that took place. Um, you know, if you were if you were upset about Ted Cruz's recent reference to the J Six Committee, not J Six Committee, pardon me, to the J Six Riders. You know, he went on Tucker's show and he he tried to apologize to us all, but he he didn't do a good job. I, I said in, in in a couple episodes ago, he actually dug himself a deeper hole. I'm, I'm talking about Ted Cruz. He made the statement. And he equated, well, he called the, the J6, January 6th rioters, the protesters, he called them terrorists. All right? And, and that was just a bridge too far. And so maybe, maybe after I play, uh, well, I'm not going to be able to play the clips from him because the sound quality is terrible. You know, they're sitting in this hearing room, and you've got Ted Cruz, and they're, I, I guess the, the FBI um, assistant director, that he's interviewing. Her name's Sanborn. Is that right? Sanborn? Yeah, Jill Sanborn. That's her name. Jill Sanborn. She's the executive assistant director of the FBI's National Security Branch. Well, 
you know, there's a delay. She's obviously, she's not there in the room. Uh, and, and there's an echo happening in the room. And so it's just, it hurt my ears listening to it. Tucker played it on his show. That's fine. It's good to play. But I, I'm just, in this meeting, I'm not going to do it. I'll just read it to you. But he took, took, he took Jill Sanborn to task over Ray Epps. I, I got to admit, I, I didn't pay a ton of attention to the Ray Epps stuff. Um, well, until recently. I mean, I, I wasn't like one of these people like Revolver, right? They were one of the first to publish an article really digging into who Ray Epps was. And that was an amazing piece of journalistic work. And honestly, without that, we, we, we might not be here today. But anyway, Ray Epps, he's, he's the individual, very suspicious, very suspect. He was, he, was, um, he was listed on the FBI's capital... What do they call it? It was the FBI's capital most wanted list, and he was suspect number 16. That was back on January 8th, right? Right after the infamous erection at the Capitol, as as so many Democrats called it, because they got an erection thinking about destroying their political opponents with this false flag operation. Well, anyway, he was suspect number 16 on there. And, and if you think about that, if you crack the top 20 of suspects on January 6th, that's a big deal. I mean, that makes me think of when, when my cousin Byron Nelson was playing golf back in the 40s. You know, you had to crack the top 20 at least to get a paycheck. So that was a, that was a big deal. And so in this case, too, I mean, Ray Epps is no Byron Nelson, of course. That's not my point. Don't mistake me here. But my point is, he's suspect 16 out of hundreds. And so that means he was a really big priority for these guys at one point, you'd think. And so he's on this uh, uh, most wanted database. And then six months later, uh, he just disappears off the face of the earth, off of their database. At some point, I think it might have been in July. But anyway, he was purged from this list. I mean, you, you, you look at the list one night. Ray Epps is there, suspect 16, staring you in the face. They can't wait to get information. They want to they wanna apprehend him. They want to arrest him. And then you wake up the next morning, and uh, he's not there. There's just a missing suspect 16. You've got suspect 14, suspect 15, suspect 17, but 16's just erased. Isn't that odd? Isn't that really odd? But anyway, so I'll, I'll explain more as need be for those of you who, who may be hankering or yearning for more information about Ray Epps, I've got it for you. Don't you worry. We'll get to it all. But most Americans at this point understand, honestly, I'd say this. If you think that the FBI was not involved in some capacity on January 6th, you are denying reality. So here's some of the questioning. Ted, Ted Cruz trying to redeem himself here for his... Uh, Calling the J6 writers terrorists, I suppose. You decide. I'm not telling I'm not even gonna give you my opinion if he's if he's redeemed in my in my own eyes. I, I'm not going there. I'm no Ted Cruz hater. I've said that before, but yeah, I'll leave that to you. That's for you to decide. That's between you and Ted, okay? I, I can't do anything about it. But I'm gonna I'm gonna read this to you, and it's pretty amazing. Uh Ted has always been good at this. So he says to uh Jill Sanborn. A lot of Americans are concerned that the federal government deliberately encouraged illegal and violent conduct on January 6th. My question to you, Jill Sanborn, 
And this is not an ordinary law enforcement question. This is a question of public accountability. Did federal agents or those in service of federal agents actively encourage violent and criminal conduct on January 6th? What does Sanborn say? Uh, as I'm sure you understand, I, I can't disclose sources and methods. So she didn't answer the question. I want to point out something right now before we get into the other de denial or, or refusals to answer the questions. So she won't disclose sources and methods, but the only time an FBI agent or something like that would, would say something like they won't disclose sources and methods, that's if they were actually involved in an operation because you don't want to give away the game or the playbook. So that's an odd thing to say. If there was no federal uh, Fed engagement on January 6th, if there were no federal agents actively encouraging violent and criminal conduct on January 6th, as Ted Cruz asks, Sanborn, Jill Sanborn, would simply have said what? Uh, no. No. Uh, I can emphatically tell you th we were not involved with this. That's what would have been said. So we know that, that, that they were involved. He goes on. Let's see if he redeems himself. This is the redemption game. Let's see what happens in your mind. Mrs. Sanborn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Cruz asked her. And he asked her this after he, he, he reminded her that Epps was captured on video on the night of January 5th, right? The night before the uh, uh, Democrats' erection in, their pan, erection in the Capitol. Uh, telling them, we're going to get into the Capitol. Basically, he was organizing everything, saying, tomorrow, we're going into the Capitol. We're going inside the building. So we have video of this. So again, Ted Cruz asks, Ms. Sanborn was Ray Epps a Fed. That is a direct question. And what does she say? Uh, sir, I cannot answer that question. <laughs> she, she, she added, though, you know, um, um, Yes, I, I'm aware of the individual, but uh, I don't have specific background on him. What? What? She can't answer the question? Was Ray Epps a Fed? It's a yes or no answer. So what does that mean? Let, let, let's just go. Okay, because this is going to become relevant later on the program, too. So she can't answer questions. She won't say no and won't deny it. What other things can we look to? in the history of our experience with mankind and politicians to see if there is precedent for us interpreting Sanborn's I cannot answer that question or I won't answer that question as meaning yes. Do you remember in the presidential debates in 2020? It was, it was in September, I think it was, of 2020. And I believe the moderator was... What's that guy, disgraceful guy, who left Fox News with the glasses that nobody likes any, anymore? Um, you know, he out of sight, out of mind, I guess. Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace, the disgraceful Chris Wallace. Yeah, that, that's right. So I think it was Chris Wallace was the moderator. Maybe, this, maybe he was asked this numerous times. But, but Chris Wallace pressed him and asked him essentially, you know, if you're elected president, Joe, Mr. Biden— are you going to support the elimination of the filibuster and packing the Supreme Court? And what did Joe Biden say? He wouldn't answer. He would not give a no answer. Why? 
Well, today, of course, Joe Biden's come out with full-throated support of ending the filibuster. So we know that when a government, a politician, anybody refuses to answer a question, it is actually an acknowledgement that what they're being asked, uh, 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 you know, it's whatever the answer they don't want to give is, right? So in this case, everyone's alleging that, that, uh, that Ray Epps was a Fed. Was he a Fed? Uh, I can't answer. You would say no. Uh, are you going to get rid of the filibuster? I, I can't answer because to say you're going to end the filibuster has, is a negative thing. In this case, saying you're gonna, that he was a Fed is a negative thing for them. So anyway, uh, you know, Cruz gets into the stuff too. You know, I don't want to drone on about this forever, but I think it's important. You know, Epps, he was on this poster uh, issued by the FBI seeking information about, you know, anybody connected to criminal activity on January 6th. Uh, and then, and then by July first, so six months later, he was he was um, absent from another poster seeking information. That's what I was talking about. So, anyway, we just learned essentially today, and this is why I don't know yet if it was a good day or a bad day uh, for for Republicans. I mean, it depends on how things go and, and how they utilize this going forward with a strategy. But it was certainly a bad day for Democrats. But the media is the media is already, by the way, as soon as this hearing took place and it became very obvious that what we alleged that the January 6th was a setup, a white flag operation, that the FBI was intimately involved with this. It explains everything, does it not? I mean, the fact that Nancy Pelosi did nothing, the fact that they didn't reinforce the Capitol Police presence, that it was just. It was just open and waiting for something to happen. And Ray Epps, by the way, the first breach that took place happened 20... This is important, I think, from my opinion, that tells us more... Well, it's more evidence to our case. So, so Ray Epps was actually, with the, the initial uh, breachers, and that breach took place approximately, I don't know, tw- 20 minutes, I think, before President Trump finished his speech at the National Mall. And most of the, 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 the vast majority of Trump supporters were still 30 minutes away from the Capitol. That's how far away it was. And so the idea that Trump supporters uh, are going to, of their own volition, go ahead and breach the Capitol before Donald Trump's even finished his speech. I mean, if you listen to the left, I mean, we, 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 are, we are cultists ourselves, idolizing Donald Trump. Right? They act like we can't think for ourselves, that we worship the ground he walks on, that we're all just one dangerous MAGA terrorist, homophobic, xenophobic, uh, racist, white supremacist group led by our great, mighty leader Donald Trump. That's what they say about us. And so the idea that that narrative, that, that a bunch of these people are just going to not listen to their idol and their God, they're going to go ahead and, and start this breach before he's even finished giving his speech, I mean... Little things like that add up, and they don't, they don't, they don't smell right, you know. But anyway, Ray Epps was there, uh, was there leading the breach of the Capitol, and just like clockwork, the select committee, you know, the phony committee, the January sixth committee that's made and comprised of solely Democrats. Well, they released a statement. And they said the committee has interviewed Epps. Epps informed us that he was not employed by, 
working with or acting at the direction of any law enforcement agency on January 5th or 6th or at any other time and that he has never been an informant for the FBI or any other law enforcement agency. Well, I guess there you go. It's closed. Uh, If only they would apply this same standard to Donald Trump. Well, they interviewed Epps, they say, and he told us that he, well, he wasn't working for the FBI, so, well, shut and and closed case. It's all finished. I mean, how, how ludicrous, how ludicrous is this? And this is the reason, too, why they are conducting this investigation under the cloud of darkness. They refused to have any conservatives on this committee. They didn't want to make it a bipartisan committee. They wanted to keep conservatives in the dark about what they were up to. Because I want to see the transcripts. Did Epps, for example, did he testify under oath to the committee? Please inform us. Give us the documentation. This is such a joke, and it's such a witch hunt. And you know what? I got to be honest with you. Given what we talked about last episode, and what we're going to talk about again because of the revelations and the fireworks, boy, on the Capitol with Rand Paul and Fauci. Fauci now, of course, well, Project Veritas has now acquired documents from the Department of Defense that unequivocally prove that Dr. Fauci, Tiny Tony, lied under oath to Congress about funding gain-of-function research. And I'll get to that in a minute. Hang with me. But nonetheless, you know, all these things are orchestrated strategies by the left. I mean, it's, it's come to light now, and it's undeniable, that COVID was utilized it was pre-planned what they were going to do, how they were going to how they were going to manipulate this pandemic for the purposes of seizing our liberty, of radically transforming America and you know, forcing fundamental transformation here. We know this. I mean, Dr. Fauci funded it even though the Department of De- Defense, DARPA, which is a, a subsidiary of the DOD, They rejected when EcoHealth, this is what happened. This is what happened before we get back to this. So the EcoHealth Alliance, this is back in 2018. They approached DARPA, otherwise the the Department of Defense, and they asked them to fund their gain-of-function research at a lab, at the Wuhan Lab of Virology. And DARPA said no. They rejected the proposal because it violated the moratorium that had existed that said, we aren't funding gain-of-function research. It's too dangerous. And so in the documents acquired, they found out not only that that DARPA had previously rejected the proposal, but then Tony Fauci, while he was the head of the NIAID, well, he went ahead and and, and supported it uh, with the, the National Institutes of Health. So they said no because of gain-of-function research, which proves that it was gain-of-function research. And so then he funded it himself through his department as the director. And, I mean, that really 
puts things in perspective with everything that happened in 2020, of course. I mean, if you look at what took place throughout 2020, you know, in April of 2020, Donald Trump said that he had seen the evidence that led him to believe strongly that the, the virus originated in a lab in Wuhan, China. And then four days later, in that National Geographic interview that was released, an exclusive interview with Fauci, Fauci said what? Well, he contradicted the president. He moved as quick as he could to dismiss Trump's claims. And he worked for Trump. He was the medical, chief medical advisor to Trump, in addition to being the director of the, the, the NIAID. And he said he'd seen no evidence to support what Trump had said. No support. And what was his theory? The wet market theory. That was the competing theory. That was, that was his theory. He was shooting down and denying that this virus originated and came out of a, a virology lab in Wuhan, China. And his better brilliant idea was that, I don't know, somebody took a bite out of a bat and that's how they got infected. What a joke. But that went on throughout 2020. You had, I mean, the media, unsurprisingly to us, right? I mean, the media jumped on board with that narrative and they denounced Trump's lab theory as a conspiracy theory, some far-right fringe conspiracy theory doing everything they can could to dismiss it. And what else did they do? That's when those calls, you know, the media said, look, Calling it the China virus, the Chinese virus, anything to do with China, that's racist. So they tried to shut it down. They didn't even want Americans entertaining, having any interest or focus on where it originated. That's the truth. And now we know why. Because only after Biden was elected did people suddenly say the scientific community, the consensus changes, said, oh, actually, actually, there's a lot of credibility we're seeing to this. Wuhan lab theory. And in fact, I told you PolitiFact, that left-wing fact-checker last episode, you know, in 2020, they had shot it down and, and, and said it was, a, it was a debunked conspiracy theory. But then, I think it was in May of, 20, uh, of 2021, after Biden was in office, they said, oh, I, actually, our experts were wrong. Uh, now there's a, quite, a, quite a debate about this, and um, we're removing our fact-check. It might very well have originated in a Wuhan lab of virology because this would have blown up the narrative. Would have blown up the narrative. So, I mean, th there are two things at play. One, Tiny Tony was trying to protect himself because he had violated the moratorium and he was guilty of sin. So it was about protecting himself. But it was also about that 2020 election. Can you imagine if in 2020 it had, it had come to light that Tony Fauci had actually funded this, that it did come from, from a lab in China, that he was responsible for the creation of this virus, that was, it would have taken the heat off of Trump. It would have taken the focus off of Trump and the deaths. Because remember, there was never any focus on or anger at China. It wasn't Trump's fault that this happened. In fact, it was Fauci's fault. But by them calling us racist and saying that you couldn't call it the China virus, the reason they did that is because they didn't want us to focus our anger at death at a foreign country. They wanted all of our anger focused on Donald Trump because they wanted to use that to defeat him. 
in addition to many other things. I mean, they used it for the for the unsolicited mail-in ballots too, but that's really what happened. But my point is with this Epps thing, Ray Epps thing, and, and the, the FBI being involved in creating this this insurrection so they could use it to their political advantage, well, this this is not unsurprising. This is not illogical or a conspiracy theorist, apart from the fact that it's very clear that the FBI was involved, now especially. But they lied about the origins of the coronavirus for their political gain. They lied about everything. They lied about deaths, inflating deaths. I mean, COVID, the whole thing was a big scheme, a big hoax to to defeat Donald Trump at the, at the polls in November. That's what it was about. And you know what I mean when I say hoax. I don't need to explain to you. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm saying the way it was utilized. It was strategic. And the same thing happened here. I mean, logically it follows. If they were going to do that to win an election, why wouldn't they, they stage an event like this so that they could do what they're doing now? And I've got an article coming up in a second. I'll, I'll read to you what's going on. I mean, you know, Mark Elias, I talk about, uh, he, he loves himself so much. He looks like Jabba the Hutt, remember? <laughs> he does. I mean, he's got, I, he, I, I don't know. If there was, forget weightlifting competitions. If there was a neck roll competition, he could enter. He could enter. He might have the most neck rolls, more neck rolls than any other man in America or the world. I don't know. He could be a world champion. But he's as smart He's got as many brain cells, or I would say, actually, he has more hair follicles on his head than he has brain cells. He's bald, by the way. Well, he's got a few little tufts on the side. I don't know why he doesn't just go bald all the way. He's still trying to hang on for something. But anyway, he's been pushing this myth, and it's, it's all towards the Voting Rights Act that they're trying to pass, which is, which is a bill to, to mandate cheating in all 50 states. That's what it's really about. But you know what? Let me do this. I'm going to take a short break. I got to take a short break. I'm going to come back and and we're going to hit uh, the Voting Rights Act and Joe Biden first. And then and then we'll move on. I think it's at my discretion, obviously, because this is the Drew Allen show and I am Drew Allen. But and then we'll move into the fireworks between uh, Fauci and Rand Paul. This is Drew Allen. I will be right back. my friends. You know what? I promise honesty on this show, and I'm just going to speak straightforward here with you. I'm going to tell you what happened on January 6th. The uh, Democrats, there were hundreds of affidavits out there throughout the country about what took place in the swing states. It's now come to light very obvious things. Zuckerberg's money, um, the, the, the mail-in ballots, the rampant cheating that took place in Georgia, in Wisconsin, in all of those different states, uh, Pennsylvania. They rigged the election for themselves, and they, they were determined to make sure that that information could not come to light and be debated. And when was that information finally going to be debated? What was the moment that the Republicans actually had an opportunity not to certify the election results, to actually force a situation in which an investigation had to take place? Because, look, 1876, there was a contested election back then. It was the exact same scenario. Listen to me carefully. What happened in 2020? With a, when it would, would have been a contested election that was not unprecedented. 1876, we are talking about a decade after the Civil War. Samuel Tilden was the Democratic Party nominee, running against Rutherford B. Hayes, who was the Republican nominee. And 
Rutherford B. Hayes went to bed that night saying, knowing that he was going to lose because he knew that they were going to cheat. They were intimidating voters. They were actually uh, uh, placing face ba- fake ballots back then, and he was sure of it. All right, and the next morning he woke up, and sure enough, uh, he lost. But the Republicans actually contested those states in which Samuel Tilden had, in fact, cheated. And there were 13 or 17 electoral votes at play, and the Republicans refused to concede the election. Refused. Said, absolutely not. The Democrats, they weren't going to concede either. And so what happened? A long process ensued in which Democrats and Republicans had to hash it out behind closed doors. And ultimately, do you know what happened? Rutherford B. Hayes was installed as president of the United States, the Republican who lost, who was contesting the votes. Not Samuel Tilden. Do you know why? Because the Democrats knew they cheated. They knew they cheated to defeat Rutherford B. Hayes. And yes, an agreement was struck, and there were some things that were not so favorable to the Republican side that took place after that, but my point is they contested it till the end. And that's what was going to take place on January 6th. In a perfect world, actually. The Republicans weren't going to just throw in the towel. They were going to make sure and use the spotlight on them on January 6th to alert the world, to make their case. All of the information that had come out, all the information that we know today, for example, they were going to make sure that the American people saw it and knew it. And so the Democrats didn't want that to take place. They didn't want it to take place. They didn't want the American people to focus on what happened, look over here, not there. So they devised a plan. Of course, that's why the rhetoric got so elevated, talking about, oh, Donald Trump, you know, he won't concede the election, he refuses defeat. That's why they installed, for example, Joe Biden. They they erected that phony... Office of the President-Elect, that's never been a thing before. That's not a real position. They move so quickly to, to, to basically get people to just give up and throw up their hands and say it's done. And many Republicans were. But what they're trying to fight is it is constitutional to, to send, for example, competing electors. All right? So if a state whether red or blue, in terms of the makeup of, the, of their state legislature, if they believe that there was foul play, they can send their own competing electors. And, so, and you don't have to certify the election results until they're agreed upon to have been fair and square. And I'm going to read a little bit of what, of what Mark Elias writes on his site, Democracy Docket, because he's telling us exactly what they did by rewriting a narrative of what did not happen. Here's what he writes. When it became clear that these efforts would fail, Trump and his allies hatched a new plan to disrupt the certification of the election results on the date specified by law January 6th. Their convoluted argument was this. If Congress failed to accept the results on that date, Trump could claim that no lawful certification by Congress had taken place and, as a result, he could remain in power. While Republican members of Congress engaged in coordinated dilatory actions to slow the process, Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Now that's absolutely asinine because by quote-unquote storming the U.S. Capitol, it was counterproductive to what was supposed to take place that day. 
which was a laser focus and a magnifying glass and a megaphone that made the case that we know now that the Democrats had changed election laws to steal the 2020 election. So that wouldn't have been to our benefit anyway. What the January 6th insurrection did did not benefit Republicans, did it? Who did it benefit? It benefited the Democrats strategically. It stopped any debate about the certification process that the Democrats feared was going to take place. The worst thing that could have happened for the Democrats was for the Republicans to stand firm and actually talk about all the fraud they had discovered. The worst thing that could have happened is to them is what happened in 1876 when Republicans refused to certify, sent competing electors in, and there was a stalemate. The Republicans and Democrats both claimed victory. That's what they didn't want to happen because they did not want it to come out how they had won the 2020 election. Because if the Republicans had stood their ground, Donald Trump would be in office today. That's what happened in 1876. There's precedent for it. And so by staging this phony insurrection, using Ray Epps as their point man, their, their lead insurrectionist who organized all this, well, they ensured that they interrupted the process and then they could target Donald Trump you know, um, and accuse him of inciting an insurrection. Bada boom, bada bing. Their plan was achieved. Joe Biden was certified as president of the United States because shame was on all the Republicans. Because they, they paint, they use that event, they painted Republicans as insurrectionists who were rejecting the will of the American people, who were violently storming the Capitol. They created a political situation in which it was impossible for the Republicans to stand there and debate and not certify. Civil war would have broken out probably if they'd done that. The Democrats would have ensured that, no doubt about it. If you thought the summer of uh, love when BLM and Antifa were burning down our cities throughout this country with billions of dollars of damage and many, many dead, well, that would have looked like a picnic. And so they did this. It put Biden in the office. And then and then it gave them a unique opportunity going forward to do what the Nazis did to the Communist Party in the uh, 30s. In Nazi Germany. Just remember this. Because this is the truth. The Democrats are alleging that Donald Trump incited an insurrection to interfere with the certification process to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president of the United States. But what really happened is that the Democrats incited an insurrection to prevent the Republican Party from contesting and debating the results of the 2020 election that would have proven that Donald Trump should have been elected, was the rightful winner of the 2020 results and that election. I know that's not a popular thing to say, but we got to be bold and speak the truth now. That's the reality of all of this. That's what took place. And they've harnessed this January 6th event because they don't have anything. They're out of ammunition. And they're desperate. 
They're desperate. They will do anything they can because they're amoral, all right? They don't abide by the same virtues and principles as Republicans and conservatives. The uh, ends justifies the means for them. And I don't mean to just beat a dead horse here, but they are responsible, the Democrats that is, for staging a coup to subvert the will of the American people in 2016. We must never forget. Unfortunately, the media just moves on quickly. And of course, the mainstream media, the drive-bys, the propagandists, they never cover this. So it never gets it never gets presented, it never never gets secured in our minds as the serious and dangerous situation that it was. It was a coup. It was an act of sedition. Donald Trump won in 2016. And the Democrats, Hillary Clinton, the DNC, they paid to create that phony steel dossier that alleged that Donald Trump colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election. And they persecuted him the entire time he was in office. And and what they were really doing was persecuting us. Rejecting the results. And they did not have a shred of evidence. They fabricated it, made it up. Do you mean to tell me, Democrats out there, that the same people who have so few morals or zero morals that will enable them to stage a coup attempt in 2016 to pay for a fake dossier and use that and impeach Trump on the grounds eventually of quid pro quo, which didn't happen, to leak transcripts, to lie if you're Adam Schiff about what was actually in the transcript, to then state that these same people who would do that It's beneath them to stage an insurrection, to put Ray Epps in there as an FBI agent working with the FBI and the Democratic Party to prevent debate on January 6th about the most important moment in our history each year, the election of the new president of the United States. You think it's beneath these people? I think now's a good time to get into this of Joe Biden going to Georgia. Now's a good time to do that. Because you're going to hear how what low lives the Democrats are. What low lives they are. Because the things that you're going to hear that were said are outrageous. They are as as a principled individual who loves this country and actually does want to see it unified, listening to this, it's not just disgraceful. This is actually unprecedented, what the Democrats had to say, what Kamala Harris had to say, what Joe Biden had to say, just lying through their teeth, making things up. They are not a party of unity. They care nothing for the United States of America. They will do anything they can to, this, to secure power for themselves, 
even if it means destroying and burning this nation to the ground. So let me get some of these clips prepared. This first clip I want to play for you. Uh, look, it's 41 seconds long. This is Joe Biden. And what he's going to be addressing is a, a bill that was signed into law in Georgia. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to read you what the law says. No person shall solicit votes, okay, in any manner or by any means or method, nor shall any person distribute or display any campaign material, nor shall any person give, offer to give, or participate in the giving of any money or gifts, including but not limited to food and drink to an elector. Okay, what's controversial about that? So if somebody is at a polling place waiting in line to vote— no one is permitted to come up to them and give them campaign material. They can't give them a cheeseburger and fries. They can't give them a Coca-Cola. What's wrong with that? You're there to vote. You stand in line. You vote. But the Democrats are making a big issue, a big issue of this mention of not giving food and drink to people. I have a lot of hilarious things to say about this, but I'll play Joe Biden first, and then I will comment on the fact that the Democrats are now treating polling places like homeless shelters and soup kitchens. People can't bring their own food and own water. And I'll tell you what it's really about afterwards as well. All right, here, here's Joe Biden. Longer lines at the polls. Lines that can last for hours. You've seen it with your own eyes. People get tired. They get hungry. When the Bible teaches us to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty... The new Georgia law actually makes it illegal. Think of this. I mean, it's 2020. And now 22 going into that election. It makes it illegal to bring your neighbors, your fellow voters, food or water while they wait in line to vote. What in the hell heck are we talking about? Now, the Democrats, of course, think this is so clever, so clever. Look. They don't look at how terrible these Republicans are. They don't want you to have food and water at the polls. You know, before I get into each issue step by step, think about the messaging from Joe Biden, the Democratic Party here. They uh, they think that the individual is utterly dependent upon someone else for everything they do. A person who's anticipating standing in line for an hour at the polls can't think, is not capable of bringing, them, bringing their own food and water while they wait. That's what the message is. Americans are so, so useless, so, so uh, uh, dependent upon other people. They can't even, they're too stupid to even think that they might need to bring their own bottle of water if they're going to wait in line for an hour. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. They think that the American people, uh, there is no acknowledgement of intelligence or independence in the American in this country. But he talks about long lines at the poll. Long lines at the poll. These guys are fighting for universal mail-in ballots, so you never have to wait in the polls ever again. Unsolicited. You can just mail in your ballot every year. That's what, the, that's what they're aiming to do. That's what happened in 2020 in all these states. So what is he even talking about, long lines at the polls? They're pushing for universal mail-in ballots. You don't have to wait in line at the polls. So what is he making an issue of this for? Lot, you know, and if there are lines at the polls, 
Well, you can wait in line for hours and hours to get a welfare check. You can wait in line for hours and hours at the DMV. You can wait in line for hours and hours to get a, 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 a test for COVID. No problem at all. But it's suddenly an issue that you would wait in line at the polls to participate in the most important activity in our society. Voting, the sacred right to vote. Open up more polling places, you moron. What's this about? People get tired and hungry. Tired and hungry. So what? So what? They get tired and hungry. Yeah, I I get tired and hungry throughout the day. You know what I do? I go and get myself something to drink. I get myself something to eat. I don't need somebody to bring me something wherever I am. So this is a stupid argument that amounts to nothing. But I'll tell you why the Democrats actually want this. You know, this is revealing about who they are. So they're making a mountain out of a, out of a molehill because the Georgia law doesn't want people coming up and handing out free uh, cheeseburgers and fries and Coca-Cola to people in line. Why would they not want to do that? You know, the Democrats, what they want to do is they want to turn polling places into homeless shelters. That's right. They want to go into these communities and they want to use polling places as a way to create a welfare so they want, they want welfare at the polling station. That's really what this is, real, this is about for them. Because what they're saying is, why can't people bring food and water to the people waiting in line to vote? Because this is a golden opportunity for Democrats. What they see this as is a missed opportunity for them, for them to buy a vote. Where are you from? How many kids do you have? You're on welfare? Oh my gosh, you're so poor? Hi, I'm a Democrat. I tell you what, I tell you what. If you vote for uh, Joe Biden... In 2024, I got a nice, a nice Carl's Jr. burger here. Nice Carl's Jr. burger. You know, if you vote down the line, one line ticket for all Democrats, say what? I got a, I got a nice cold Coca-Cola. So the point is they want to put a message out. Hey, hey, we'll feed you at the polls. We will use tax, taxpayer dollars or We'll use some, uh, you know, Mark, some, some Mark Zuckerberg dollars to lure people that wouldn't even vote to the polls because they don't care and they don't have any interest in politics. They don't vote anyway. So, hey, you know, the polling place is a new way to get some welfare. You know, if you come to the polls and you say, hey, I'm going to vote Democrat, I'll give you a Happy Meal. I'll give you a Happy Meal or a piece of pizza. I tell you what, I'm ordering, I'm ordering 30 pizzas pizzas from Domino's. What kind of pizza do you like? Are you tired? Are you thirsty? Hey, tell you what, tell you what, let's make a deal. If you vote for Joe Biden, that's who I'm supporting, right? Right? I know he's lost his mind, his marbles. I know he can't complete a sentence even. We know he cheated and stole the 2020 election, but hey, you know what? Vote for him again and I'll give your whole family here a meal. This is what this is about. This is about appealing to those Americans in especially minority community. What are you saying? You know, the black community is starting to wake up, by the way. They're realizing the Democrats have been lying to them for years. I mean, it's kind of obvious. They keep voting for Democrats and their situation never improves. Everything the Democratic Party does is to destroy and eradicate the black community, to prevent them from having any opportunities whatsoever. And so black people, for example, in minority communities, they're waking up and they're like, I don't like Joe anymore. I mean, African-Americans are starting to move towards the Republican Party, not like the Hispanic community, right? But it's happening. It's happening. It is. 
And they know they can't lose those voters. They need those votes. And so all this food and water garbage is because the Democrats saw a golden opportunity to buy votes. Hey, uh, let me go on to Compton. Hey, you guys, you guys on welfare, uh, they're serving free cheeseburgers over the polling place, but you got to vote Democrat. That's right. Head over to the polls. I know you never vote. I know you're disillusioned with the Democratic Party. I know you just don't want to vote anymore, but we really need your votes. And so if you head down here, uh, yeah, there's a station right over here. Long line, but go ahead. And I tell you what, what, what kind of pizza do you like? You like pepperoni pizza? Sausage? Ah, what the hell do you care? What the hell do you know? You're lucky to get a meal from the government because you can't do crap for yourself anyway. That's why you're on welfare. So I tell you what, you little black person. I tell you what. You listen to me, the Democrat. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to get you a Coca-Cola and a pizza to feed your family of 20. That's, That's what this is about. And I'm mocking them somewhat, but that's where this is going. And it's absolutely absurd. And I love when they quote, of course, the Bible, right? The Bible teaches us to feed the Bible teaches us to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty. The new Georgia law actually makes it illegal. You know, this is a guy who doesn't know anything about the Bible. In fact, you know, if he doesn't change his ways, the Bible says he's going straight to hell. So Joe Biden here, um, you know, the Democratic Party, I love it. They denounce Christianity. They, they denounce our, our Judeo-Christian history. They got the Ten Commandments taken out of public schools. Every chance they get, they try to remove God from the conversation. They attack Christians vociferously. And then they say now, well, you know, the Bible teaches us to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty. The Bible also teaches us that if you don't believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hell. You're going to provide that message to them as well. You're going to go down that path, Joe. If we're preaching messages of Christianity suddenly, why don't you tell everyone who doesn't believe that they're going to hell? Because that's also a message of Christianity. But here we go, another selective messaging. The Bible teaches us to feed the hungry and give water to the thirsty. Give me a break. But there's actually more. We've got, we've got, we've got other info we can get into here. Um, I, uh, so he's pushing the voting rights legislation as well. So I've got an audio clip here of him making an absolute fool of himself. Uh, I'll play him and Kamala Harris. To protect our democracy, I support changing the Senate rules, whichever way they need to be changed to prevent a minority of senators from blocking action on voting rights. When it comes to protecting majority rule in America, the majority should rule in the United States Senate. I have a lot of things to unpack here. He says, you know, a majority rule should be the way forward, that a majority, a simple majority should be able to do whatever they want. Well, hey, Joe. Uh, you might have 50 senators. Okay, let's put it this way. In the Senate, as it is at present, it's split 50-50. Kamala Harris, the vice president, is the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. That's the one that puts them over the edge. That would be 51. But he's talking about this, getting rid of the filibuster. The majority should rule. He can't convince 
Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, who are Democrats, to go along with their totalitarian ambitions. They're the ones standing in his way, not Republicans. Not Republicans. He cannot get, I mean, he made this statement today, and Joe Manchin came back and said, I don't support getting rid of the filibuster. You know what the filibuster is, in simple terms? It's changed throughout our history. It's been around for a very long time. But the filibuster, simply put, is the blocking of a bill in the Senate. All a senator has to do is signal they want to block a piece of legislation, and then 60 senators have to vote to end the filibuster, which is where the number comes from. That's why you need 60 votes to pass legislation. And the Democrats used the filibuster 327 times, I think it was, in 2020 alone. So when it suited them, it was perfect, right? When Trump was in office, the filibuster was, was a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, weapon of democracy. It protected democracy. It prevented the, the majority of Republicans from getting their way. But now that they're in office, now that Biden's in the Oval Office, well, now we got to get rid of the filibuster to protect democracy. The Democrats' idea of, of, you know, they love democracy so much, love it so much that they want to destroy it. They want to destroy it. And what this messaging represents is desperation by the Democratic Party. They understand that they cannot win. They cannot secure their power in perpetuity. They know they're going to get shellacked to the polls in 2022. It's an uphill battle for them. It's basically over. I mean, they've lost Mansion and Cinema. That's who they needed, depended on, to get everything they wanted passed. Because they need them as well uh, to support changing or eliminating the filibuster. And Joe Manchin has said, I'm not going to eliminate the filibuster. So they're in a pickle, but they need the filibuster removed. To ha- I mean, honestly, it's a very strange, bizarre movement which shows desperation because it makes no sense. Even if they got rid of the fil- filibuster, they would need a simple majority to pass their voting rights legislation. That would mean they need all 50 Democrats to vote in one block for the bill. But Joe Manchin doesn't support any of this. And so even if they eliminated the filibuster, they wouldn't be able to pass legislation. But this is exposing how desperate they are. They need, this is, so, you know, yesterday, I think it was, in the last episode, I said, I don't know what the Democrats' strategy is, but today I do. And that's what I said, too. I said, we're going to find out, things are going and going to move so fast uh, things are going to reveal themselves and shift so quickly because the Democrats are trying to formulate what the best path forward is, and now we know what their strategy is. This is it. This is all they have. Build Back Better, they've given up on. They've given up on their uh, socialist communist agenda to change and fundamentally, well, expand the welfare state because Joe Manchin shot it down. So now all their eggs are in one basket, and that basket is creating the situation that took place in 2020 in all 50 states now. That's what this is about. They know, and this is an admission that they didn't win fair and square in 2020, by the way. 
The only reason they won in 2020 is because of universal mail-in ballots. And that's what this is about. I mean, they're telling us, they're admitting what they did in 2020 by pushing forward and making a big deal of their 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 vote vote stealing uh, agenda. Um. So they're talking about all these different changes now. You know how they can change the rules in the Senate to suit themselves and whatever. But it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. And I'll play a clip of Kamala Harris here in just a minute, but. You know, it's a funny thing happened here. He's down in Georgia, which is, excuse me, which is, uh, what's her name? Stacey Abrams. Remember, she, she, she ran for governor in 2018 and lost to Kemp, Governor Kemp, the Republican candidate, and she pulled a Hillary Clinton. She claimed that he engaged in voter suppression, that the fight wasn't fair, that, that basically she claimed that election was stolen from her. Stacey Abrams claimed that she was the rightful governor of Georgia. And, um, you know, she's been fighting to, well, destroy election laws in Georgia. She's been fighting vociferously to to make cheating the law of the land in Georgia. And uh, she was supposed to be there today with, 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 uh, with Joe Biden. And uh, there was a scheduling conflict, apparently. And she couldn't show up to be by his side. <laughs> And there's a lot of theories floating out there, but but the point is she didn't want to be anyone anywhere near Joe Biden. That's that's the reality of this. A scheduling conflict. It's the president of the United States. Uh, it doesn't matter what's on your agenda, on your schedule. You can cancel it at any moment to go and show up with the president of the United States if, in fact, you wanted to support him, if you wanted to stand by his side. But Joe Biden is such an unpopular president today with his, his approval ratings, frankly, in Hades that Stacey Abrams didn't want to be seen with him because being seen with Joe Biden, in her opinion, was uh, was damaging, was harmful. And so she didn't actually show up. Even, you know, maybe she also was afraid, I don't know, that, that, that because she's one of these, you know, they accused Donald Trump of rejecting the election results of 2020 and uh, threatening democracy. Maybe, maybe she was afraid since she did the same thing that Joe Biden was going to, gonna gonna you know, break into some angry old man's tirade about how, how she had rejected the election results of 2018 and chastised her, and she just didn't want to deal with that situation. She didn't want to be chastised by Joe Biden because she too, she too rejects the election results of 2018, although she's going to run again. But nonetheless, all right, I got it in one more clip here. Uh, but, you know, Biden, Biden, he goes on and claims, uh, in America, the majority should rule in the United States Senate. Okay, wh- what is a majority in the United States Senate? Can someone explain that to me? So we got 100 senators, right? So majority would be 51. Okay, so they've got 50 senators. Well, they can't pass legislation right now in light of the fact that Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema don't agree with the agenda. So where is he going with this? I mean, I know we're talking about a filibuster and everything, but on the surface, he's saying the majority should rule the United States. It's 50-50. They're not a majority anyway, any way you look at it. That's not a majority. It's literally equally split between Republicans and Democrats. The majority should rule in the United States Senate? These people are insane. Uh, Okay, here we go. I want to play Kamala Harris for you. 
The Constitution of the United States gives the Congress the power to pass legislation, and nowhere, nowhere does the Constitution give a minority the right to unilaterally block legislation. So she's repeating the same BS. Nowhere in the Constitution does it give a minority party. We're not a minority party in the Senate. It's 50-50. I want to tell you very clearly what's happening on what the play is. Even if they got rid of the filibuster, Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, they're not on the side of the Democrats for passing the voting rights, the Build Back Better plan, so they're stuck. What they're doing right now is laying the groundwork. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. This I am certain of. I will take this to the grave with me. What they are doing is laying the groundwork to contest the 2022 midterms. If you look at articles, they're already saying that the Republicans are looking to uh, suppress the vote. So what they're, what they're doing is saying, if they don't get their voter voting rights legislation passed, which will make the 2022 anomalies that were a one-time exception because of the pandemic, the new norm going forward, if they don't, in the absence of getting that passed, what they're saying is Republicans are actually suppressing the vote. So what they're going to do is come 2022, they're going to contest everything. And this is going to go on towards 2024 as well, the presidential race. But they are now already accusing Republicans of suppressing the vote, saying it's Jim Crow 2.0. That's the point of all of this, so that when 2022 comes around and they get shellacked, they're going to say the Republicans stole the 2022 midterms. Because... The voting rights legislation that the Democrats wanted to pass, they didn't get to do it, and the Republicans didn't allow them to do it because the Republicans wanted to steal 2022. And if the, if the Democrats had passed their voting rights legislation, they would have won because the Republicans, through their voting suppression, by opposing this bill, by, by not allowing this bill to go through, which would federalize, nationalize elections, well, thousands of votes are going to be thrown away. Millions even are going to be thrown away. And that's the, the, the rep- because remember, it goes back to this simple, simple saying. What did the Democrats say in, in 2020? Every vote counts. Every illegal vote, every dead vote, every, every, every vote that's cast for someone else, every harvested, bo- harvested vote, every vote. Doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal, every vote counts. And the Republicans responded with, no, every legal vote counts. And so the Democrats, that's the narrative they're pursuing, pursuing here. The very same thing. Every vote didn't get counted in 2022 midterms because of Republicans. They're the, this is why the Democrat Party is so dangerous. They sit here and accuse Republicans of threatening democracy, of contesting elections, of subverting the will of the American people. But they're already laying the groundwork to contest 2022. They're already suggesting that if they lose in 2022, it's because of Republicans. Because Republican states required voting IDs. Republican states required signature verification. Republican states, God forbid, require people to vote in person. And that's where this is headed. They're setting up a scenario for themselves in 2022 to contest every lost seat. Which then will also continue forward in 2024. And it's a very, very dangerous scenario. They're playing with fire here, and they know it. 
But that's the only explanation, and I'll take it to my grave, as I said. I promise you that's what's happening here. Now, we're almost to the fireworks show. We're going to close out with a Fauci, a couple Fauci uh, Rand Paul clips. But I'll tell you exactly what's happening to bolster my argument. Opinion piece from uh, this guy. Uh, this guy's such a loser. He's a columnist named Max Boot. He wrote this in June. June of 2021, okay? Opinion, the Republican plot to steal the 2024 election. It's uh, 2021, June of 2021, and they're already in this opinion piece at the Washington Compost, the Washington Post, where democracy does indeed die in darkness. They say the Republican plot to steal the 2024 election. Imagine accusing the Republicans of being irresponsible and dangerous because they contested the 2020 election. And then they already accuse three years out the Republicans of plotting to steal the 2024 election. Uh, anyway, basically, the point is, as they write in this article, 2020 was an anomaly because of the pandemic, right? It was unprecedented, the unsolicited mail-in ballots, the lack of signature verification, all those things that gave Joe Biden the opportunity to win. That wasn't normal, but that's what they've always wanted. And so they want the 2020 election system, if you will, where rampant fraud could take place. They want to pretend like that's how it's always been. And so because 2020 did indeed expose those vulnerable areas of fraud, many red states have actually passed legislation to prevent 2020 from happening again. They should have done it before, but hey, we're not living in the past, we're looking forward. So at least we're thankful they're doing that. And so like the Georgia laws, like in, it just it doesn't matter. You know, you look at the country, places that have red states or at least have, you know, Republican legislatures, they, they are fortifying their election systems to ensure that 2020 doesn't happen again. And so the narrative from the Democrats is, look, we won in 2020. We defeated Donald Trump fair and square. They didn't. They're lying. But now they're projecting. They're saying, look, look, 2020, you know, the Democrat, the, the Republicans contested the election, but we won fair and square with all the mail-in ballots and the lack of signature verification, all the things we're talking about. And now in 2022, they want to prevent they want to require IDs. They want to require signature verification. They don't want to send out unsolicited mail-in ballots. They don't want, you know, drop-off centers out the wazoo where anybody can come up at any time in the night where you don't know who they are dropping off these unsolicited mail-in ballots. The Republicans are trying to steal the election by preventing fraud. That's where this is going. So anyway, just get that clear in your heads. That's where this is headed. They know they don't have mansion. It's all a ruse to create further conflict in 2022. It's it's just the Democrats are responsible, honest to God, for all the turmoil in this country. They are the worst thing in America, and they are the worst they've ever been in our history. I swear on that. I swear on that. I mean, this is so irresponsible. It's so dangerous, and I'm sitting here trying to, I guess, ring the alarm bell, but I can't control the Democrat Party, but that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing. Uh, so anyway, let's uh, let's hit let's hit uh, the the fireworks show 
boy. Okay, how about that? Look at course, everything that I said. To be done by mandate. But you've advocated that your infallible opinion be dictated by law. Right. So again, Madam Chair, I would like just a couple of minutes because right. this this happens all the time. You personally attack me, and with absolutely not a shred of evidence of anything you say. So that's actually a typical Fauci tactic. I mean, you heard the back and forth. That's how it went on and on and on. But Fauci just denies everything every time. You're attacking me. It's not fair. Madam Secretary, come to my defense. You know, this bully is treating me bad. I've just ruined the lives and murdered 800,000 people because I lied. And I actually paid for the gain-of-function research to develop. But I'm the victim here. Please, please interfere, Madam Secretary. Chey cannot say these things. He always does. He always accuses me of things that are just not true. There's no... You know, he just read an email sent between Collins, the NIH director, and himself in which Collins and him colluded to destroy the credibility of epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford, I believe, were the three universities. And, and, and uh, Paul made the point, uh, those are hardly fringe universities, fringe epidemiologists, but they colluded. They said, we got we to gotta destroy these people's credibility. And I think he's talking about this instance in which they were calling for herd immunity. Calling for herd immunity. But they didn't want that to be out there because it was all about the vaccine. It was all about XYZ and Fauci's agenda. And so they said, we got to destroy their credibility. So he quoted emails from Fauci and Collins. And Fauci's sitting there audaciously saying, he's making things up. He's making it. Let's, let, let's hear more, though. So I would like to make something clear to the committee. He's doing this for political reasons. What you need to do is he said in front of this committee. Do you think your takedown of three I was, prominent I was epidemiologists was not political? You, you don't want me that to finish because you know what I'm going to say. Senator, that was the question. Senator, Were you political we in taking down this, these three point, prominent epidemiologists? I told you there were fireworks, and I told you I could watch that every day, every day like a series. But this is Fauci's modus operandi. Fauci, just the day before, it was released by Project Veritas that Fauci lied to Congress, that he did fund gain-of-function research. He is quoting emails, and Fauci is here talking about how Rand Paul is politicizing this. Rand Paul is politicizing this? This is outrageous. Fauci has politicized everything. First, masks don't work. Then I want you to mask up. I mean, he went against the commander-in-chief, contradicted everything he said. This is the doctor who came out against hydroxychloroquine and zinc when that was proven to be effective. This is the guy. This is the guy who, who, who lied repeatedly to Rand Paul in the past and denied his involvement with all this and on on the day after it's revealed indisputably that he lied to Congress he has the audacity to play the victim this is a guy who promotes research that kills dogs fleas eating their eyes and faces that's who he is but let's go on one more fireworks show there are two reasons why that's really bad the first is it distracts from what we're all trying to do here today is get our arms around the epidemic and the pandemic that we're dealing with, not something imaginary. Number two, 
What happens when he gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue? Okay, that's enough. I actually can't take it anymore. I just wanted to give you a preview of what happened there because it was fireworks. But it was the typical thing. Fauci just denies everything. And that's what's happened throughout all of this. Just denial. But because he says something isn't true, because he denies it, doesn't mean he's right. He is lying again. And the problem is there are no repercussions ever for this man. You know, that's why I say this guy thinks he's too important to go to jail, too big to go to jail. The rules don't apply to him, and that's what, what is pointed out. This guy calls himself Mr. Science. My Mr. Science. And yet he's been wrong on almost everything, and he has promoted policies that, that do not work objectively. This is the guy. This is the guy who denounced the lab theory when he worked for the NIAID in 2014 when they earmarked $600,000 to fund gain-of-function research for the express purpose of bat coronaviruses. This is the guy who continued to lie and deny and pronounce that, oh no, I have a theory that's better. It's the, it's, it's the wet market theory, even though the NIH had already told a committee at Congress, already told and revealed and acknowledged that they actually had funded gain-of-function research that had led to a coronavirus. And even after that admission, he continued to promote the lie that this came out of a wet market, despite the fact that China, despite the fact that scientists around the world, despite the fact that Republicans, Democrats, everyone in the community said in 2021, actually, this came from a Wuhan lab. All the evidence points to that. And he still said, there's no evidence for that. That's not true. There's more evidence that points to the fact that this came from someone biting a bat a bat leg in a wet market, and that's how this virus spread. This guy is so sick, such a liar, such a pervert, so demented, such a dimwit, and yet he is still, still getting paid the highest salary of any bureaucrat in Washington, D.C., in the federal government, the highest paid person. And that's who we're dealing with. Somebody who still lies because, you know what, he figures... Everyone's going to protect him, like Hillary Clinton, like these other Democrats. They can get away with anything they want, do anything they want, say anything they want, because you know what? They're untouchable. They're untouchable, baby. They can kill people. They can murder people. They can lie. They can go on TV. They can ruin your life. They can shut down the economy tomorrow, take away your job. I mean, these are true tyrants. And this is why 2022 is a big deal. We have to take back the House and Senate. We have to form our own select committees, and we have to investigate all of these people and hold their feet to the fire and be relentless. And if they are guilty, as Fauci is, if they have committed crimes, if they have done harm to the American people, if they have not fulfilled their sacred duties and violated their oaths of office to protect and defend the Constitution and the American people, they must go to jail. There must be repercussions. That's how it works for everyone else. And I'm sick and tired of these people feeling like they are above the law. That's how it's been for too long. That's why we're in this situation today, because these people act like tyrants because there are no repercussions and they don't have to face anything. They never have to face the music.
It's time they face the music. And this is ridiculous. This guy should have been fired so long ago. A half a dozen times, a dozen times were opportunities, real reasons that were validated that he should not have been in his position, yet this guy is still, still giving the medical advice. I mean, just look at the pandemic. Is it a success? Is this some roaring success that we've had? And this guy's still in office? I don't know about you. I'm fed up with it. I really am. So here's my fireworks show. I always get at least one one rant, and I thought it was doing so well, too. I was so calm. My voice was so controlled. I was just trying to educate and inform everybody out there, but, you know, this stuff fires me up because this guy should be literally be in a prison cell, cell based on the information that came out from Project Veritas yesterday, and here he is continuing to pretend like he's above the law, talk down to Rand Paul, and I'm just fed up with it. All right. God bless you guys. we got a lot to get into again probably tomorrow. This is Drew Allen. Thanks for listening.